welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is February 24th, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 5. Just as a reminder, every day I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology after reading uh, our chapter. And so today we're going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 5. My goal is to get you into God's Word for 5 to 20 minutes every day. And so let's get into our reading today from Exodus chapter 5. Let's get into our reading today from Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let the heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. And so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. And so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Well, this is our reading today from Exodus chapter 5. 
So in Exodus 5, 1 through 7, 7, we see Moses and Aaron's initial request. Now, this section, it describes Moses and Aaron's initial audience before the Pharaoh in Exodus 5, 1 through 21, and even the Lord's promise and encouragement in light of that response in Exodus 5, 22 through 6, 9, and Exodus 7, 1 through 7. This section is also going to include a genealogy of Moses and Aaron that records their particular descendants in light of the roles that they will fill when Israel is brought out of Egypt in Exodus 6, 10-30. And so in our chapter today, in Exodus 5, we see this initial request. Moses and Aaron's initial audience with the Pharaoh bears with what the Lord has foretold about Pharaoh's response in Exodus 3.19 and Exodus 4.21, and it even foreshadows the challenge that Moses and Aaron will face in leading the people of Israel in Exodus 5.20-21. Now the phrase in verse 1, thus says the Lord, it introduces Moses and Aaron's words when the narrative recounts first the Lord's instruction to them, and second, their actual speech to Pharaoh, a statement of authority, the form of the phrase was used in the ancient Near East. And for the Hebrew prophets, it became a standard reminder to both messenger and the recipients that the words came from and would actually be acted on as in Isaiah 38, 1, Isaiah 38, 5, and Jeremiah 2, 2. Verse 2 of our chapter now, I do not know the Lord. Now Pharaoh's response, it becomes thematic in the Lord's description of what the plagues are to signify. That you may know that I am the Lord in Exodus 8.10, in Exodus 7.5, in Exodus 7.17, in Exodus 8.22, in Exodus 9.14, in Exodus 9.21, in Exodus 10.2, in Exodus 11.7. And now the sense of the word no here is similar in its use in the declaration that the Lord knew Israel's suffering as in Exodus 2.25. Now it's not simply the knower's cognitive recognition or acknowledgement, but also the inclination or posture of the knower in relation to what is known. Now, as Pharaoh's opening question makes clear, how is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And so his statement that he does not know the Lord is as much about defiance against his claims as it is about ignorance of his identity. Verse 3, lest he fall upon us. Now, the reason is not included in the narrative of what God told Moses to say, although it is clearly implied by the authority of the Lord. Egypt will be held responsible and even judged for obstructing Israel's ability to obey. Verses 6 through 8, the role of the taskmasters is well known in Egyptian texts. An account from the time of Ramses II in 13th century BC, it records that 40 stable masters were assigned a quota of 2K bricks. And the walls of Rickmeyer Chapel in Thebes in the 50th century BC, they bear a famous scene that depicts the process of brick making in Egypt. Verse 10, thus says Pharaoh, in contrast to thus says the Lord in verse 1 of this chapter, Pharaoh is both denying the power of the Lord's words and is asserting the authority of his own sin. Now, verses 15 through 16, Israel's foreman refers to themselves before Pharaoh as their servants, which is highlighted in its repetition. It even stands in contrast to the fact that the Lord called Israel my people in verse 1. In addition to the plagues functioning so that Egypt will know that it is the Lord who acts in verse 2, the lengthy process to come is also merciful to Israel, for the people are in need of learning to trust the Lord who is at work on their behalf. Verse 21. 
The anger expressed by Israel's kinsmen is the second instance of resistance to Moses' help and leadership, the other being in Exodus 2.14 and another the foreshadowing of things to come that we will see in Exodus 14.11-12, Exodus 15.24, Exodus 16.2, and Exodus 17.2-3. Now in Exodus 5:22 through 6:9, God promises to deliver Israel from Egypt. And so after the first audience with Pharaoh results in this defiance and even further hardship for Israel in Exodus 5, 1 through 21, Moses asks the Lord why he has done this in Exodus 5, 22 through 23. And the Lord responds by emphasizing that he will be present with his people and, and, and cares about their deliverance and faithfulness to his covenant in Exodus 6, 1 through 9. Exodus 5, 22 through 23. And although the Lord has promised that he would deliver his people in Exodus 3, 8, and that Pharaoh would resist, I letting them go in Exodus 3, 19 and 20, in Exodus 4, 21, the shape and time frame of the events about to unfold were unknown to Moses. Now his first encounter with Pharaoh, it seemed to have brought evil, the same word for trouble, in Exodus 5, 19, by making Israel's situation and Pharaoh's disposition worse than it had been. You know, we, we all need to admit that sometimes it feels like life is truly falling apart. And sometimes it comes crashing down in a moment of tragedy. Sometimes it slips slowly through your fingers like when your health deteriorates or your marriage stagnates. What hope, what help, what grace does God offer that can hold us together when it feels like life is falling apart? Well, we all need to know, I need to remind myself, and we all need to be reminded that God himself holds us together as we cling to what his word reveals about who he is and how he works to redeem falling people in our sinful post-fall world. And one of the places that we find this grace is in the Exodus story. In Egypt, the Israelites were ruthlessly afflicted with backbreaking slave labor. Circumstances beyond their control made their lives bitter, as we've seen in Exodus 1. And in their agony, they cried out to God for relief. And in response, it says in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You see, God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. And then out of the burning bush, God told Moses in Exodus 3, 7 through 8, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. You see, God saw, God heard, God knew, and God came down to deliver. And so when it feels like life is falling apart, it's tempting to believe that God is distant, God is disinterested in our plight. Now, but knowing the character of God is a deep comfort. See, not only is God all-knowing and all-present, but he's also good. He's willing and he's able to deliver. And so the first time Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh with God's command, let my people go, the result looked nothing like deliverance as in Exodus 5.1. And rather than freeing the people of God, Pharaoh made their work harder and their lives even more bitter, as we see in verse 9 of our chapter today. And when their suffering intensified, the Israelites misinterpreted their circumstances as evidence of the absence of God, as we see in Exodus 5, 20-21. And even Moses was perplexed and turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all in Exodus 5, 22-23. 
Now, as we fast forward several chapters, when God finally brought his people out of Egypt, he specifically directed Moses to turn back and encamp by the sea in Exodus 14.2. Why would God lead his people into a corner? Exodus 14.4 says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. You see, it was God's intention to display his glory to his people by bringing Pharaoh against them and delivering them at the last moment. But you see, Israel didn't break out in anticipatory praise and even eager expectation of this display of the glory of God. When they saw over 600 chariots from the strongest army on earth bearing down on them, fear gripped their hearts, and once again, they interpreted their situation as evidence that God meant to do them harm. Exodus fourteen ten through 12 says this, the, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away from the wilderness? What you have done to us in bringing us out of Egypt, is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so just like the Israelites, we often misinterpret the hardships of our lives as evidence that God is against us. And yet such wrong thinking about God, it inevitably results in sinful attitudes and actions. When our life is falling apart on the outside, the default response of our flesh is to fall apart on the inside. Anxiety, despair, fear, anger, bitterness. And just like the Israelites, you and I are prone to think hard and bitter thoughts towards God when we cannot see a way out. Well, the very circumstances that Moses and the Hebrews understood to mean that God was working against them were actually the very circumstances in which God was powerful at work for them. He was actively laying that groundwork for a monument to his glory that he would be the joy of his people for generations. And when Pharaoh increased their workload and even made their lives miserable, the Lord was at work. And when Moses complained, God answered, Now, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh in Exodus 6.1. And when the people railed against God at the Red Sea, they failed to see that God was at work in their circumstances, not simply in spite of them. And though they imputed the motives of God, they received this comforting word in Exodus 14.13-14, which says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have to only be silent. You see, we can never rely on our, uh, on our own finite, emotional, and even human perspective. The very events that we misconstrue to mean that our life is falling apart are likely the very groundwork that God is laying for another monument to the glory of his redeeming grace. And unlike your and my fallible feelings, this reliable grace from God that holds us together. We know that this is true because 1,500 years after the Exodus, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us as we see in Romans 8.32. Jesus' own disciples misinterpreted the crucifixion of their Lord to mean the death of their dreams. And perhaps if they had discerned this pattern in the character and even the ways of God, that God loves glorious rescues, they, they wouldn't have been so slow to believe that the Son of God had to suffer and die before rising to rule and reign, as we see in Luke 24, 25, and 26. 
And so, dear friend, the next time it feels that your life is falling apart, fear not, stand firm, brace yourself to see the salvation of our Lord and of our King. You only have to be silent while God works for you. The Exodus is an example, and Jesus is a guarantee that God can and will work all things for the good of those who love him. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 24th, and we've looked at Exodus chapter 5. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.